Today on Chasing Leviathan, we pursue the big question. What does an African alternative to Western logic look like? My guest is Dr. Jonathan Chimikonum, senior lecturer at the University of Calabar. We discuss the binary nature of Aristotle's logic, and I learn about the various theories of many-value logic. So come, have a seat with us, and learn to listen with me. this idea of uh, establishing a foundation for African-specific philosophy. What was your journey into philosophy in general and uh, into this specific uh, quest kind of for, for this uh, foundation? Fantastic. Thank you very much, um, PJ. The one's journey into philosophy um, I believe are usually of two kinds. There are those who set out to study philosophy, and there are those who uh, who actually didn't go to study any philosophy, but are compelled to become philosophers. Okay, so philosophy is not something anybody can escape from. What is it that uh, Socrates uh, said? Uh, jokingly, all right, who were told that Socrates had a nagging wife, Xantippe. Yes. And um, so often, when Socrates is surrounded by people that he is teaching and sharing his ideas, Xantippe will always emerge from the balcony and throw water on him, you know, as a <laughs> lazy man who just wouldn't go and walk, who spends his day talking philosophy and all that. And on one occasion when that happened, we were told that Socrates um, looked at his pupils, those seated by his feet waiting for, listening to him and said to them, by all means marry. If you uh, get a good wife, you will be happy. But if you happen to get a bad one, you will become a philosopher. <laughs> so... Um, I'm very fond of that story. My wife is yeah. not, though. <laughs> so, so, so there's always these nagging uh, circumstances of life that um, compel us to become philosophers. But I know that you're asking of my journey into philosophy, philosophy as a professional. Hmm. Uh, of course, I decided that I was going to study philosophy. But that wasn't because I woke up one morning and had some kind of um, epiphany. No, um, I had read some books in my father's library where I ran into the ideas of Plato and, 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 and Socrates. But then in my high school, we usually have this one, um, one day dedicated to career orientation. And uh, the management of the school will bring people from different walks of life to talk about their fields. And when I was in my second year in the high school, a philosopher was among those who came to speak to us. And the kind of, the, the, the sort of things he was talking about uh, resonated with my innermost being, so to speak. Uh, even though I, um, the influence, of course, waned 
And like all these things when in much younger people eventually. But by my fifth year in the high school, another philosopher was amongst those who were invited to speak to us. And that was when I said yes. Mm. And I never looked back. You know, and, <laughs> um, studying philosophy, becoming a philosopher. Uh, it's, 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 it's a career, it's a vocation, but it's also a hobby. And um, so, 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 so that, that, that pretty much was my um, journey into philosophy. And I have been in philosophy ever since. Uh, although yeah. um, I have um, dedicated much of my productive uh, years as a professional philosopher so far, into the area of <clears throat> to develop and promote the uh, different aspects of African philosophy, but of course my my research are quite um, research topics are quite broad. Thank you. Yes, and what's the uh, it, kind of today? This is centered around your your work. Is it Ezumizu? How do you pronounce that? Ezumizu. Ezumizu. So uh, talk to. Yeah, I, I try. <laughs> Sometimes it does not come out. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> um, but uh, as we're talking about this system of philosophy you've been working on, what led you to develop this African-centric uh, philosophy? Um, you know, obviously there's kind of a, this decolonization bent towards it, and then mm. the idea of a positive grounding too, right? There's a negative mm. and a positive aspect. And what mm. was that journey like? Two things, okay? Um, the first one being that when I was concluding my, or doing my post, uh, my graduate studies, I, I had immersed myself in the literature out there on African philosophy. I tried to wrap my mind around this field, the journey field of philosophy. And uh, like, all system builders, like all thinkers, thinkers are rebels, okay? <laughs> they are rebels in the sense that um, uh, it's either they don't like the system, all right? So they want to build in an alternative system that they think would be better. Or uh, they, they, they see a landscape where a system should be, but there is none there, and, and they decide to build it. So... Um, and, and, and why is there no system there? Because there is one existing somewhere that people look up to as the system that should be here, which is not right. Thinkers are rebels. They rebel against that. They want to set up what should be there. Uh, number two, um, so, so, so I find in the um, history of African philosophy, the edifice of African philosophy, the absence of a system for that philosophical tradition. Uh, number two, I also see that in um, South America and all that climbs, even coming to uh, Europe and North America, that another bourgeoning field was developing, and um, that was decoloniality. And I look at this project and I say, yes, this is a fantastic project that should um, uh, counter modernity and, and is um, 
various manifestations like coloniality and what have you. But then again, I also notice that the most important thing of that should drive the decolonial program is also missing. Mm. And, and, and that is logic. All right? And why is it missing? I, I discover that those pioneering and leading the discourse on decoloniality are all people from non-philosophical, from other disciplines that are not really philosophy, like sociology, anthropology, area studies, and what have you. So uh, you wouldn't blame them if they do not uh, have the expertise or exposure uh, in logic that would enable them understand what the foundation of a thoughts or tradition, intellectual tradition should be like. So that was omitted. That is again missing in their projects. And um, uh, something I am now writing as a book uh, tentatively titled uh, the, the Logic of Decoloniality. I believe that all those workers in the field of decoloniality have constructed the building and the roof. It's like a castle. It's in the air, but there's no foundation. Yeah. And um, that is pretty much why decoloniality is not changing the dynamics of thoughts as it should. It is meant to be an external critique of modernity and coloniality, but it is not shaking uh, making the sort of impact it should make as an intellectual orientation because the foundational um, uh, component has not been addressed and, and, and fixed there. Castles are supposed to be in the air, of course, but of course they don't hang in the air. There's got to be a foundation to support yeah. such structure. So now I discovered that in some way um, the problem in African philosophy resonates in decoloniality. And uh, so I uh, took it upon myself to make that as my own contributions, not only to African philosophy, but to the field of decoloniality. However, the logic of Ezumezu uh, is not restricted in terms of being a specific logic that can apply in African philosophy and decoloniality and nowhere else. No, it is a kind of contribution to the body of literature on logic there, out there. Um, and perhaps in the course of this discussion, I should be able to explain the connection um, and, and the importance of that uh, contribution. I, I love that. I. Um... I really resonate with a lot of what you're saying uh, here at the beginning, because uh, I grew up uh, fundamentalist Christian, and there were so many inherent contradictions because everything, um, I still consider myself a devout Christian, but not a fundamentalist. And a lot of that came that those contradictions came because they were reactionary mm. and they would accept the, the logic of their opponents and then just discard and just argue about the conclusions. Mm. And so uh, it created a very odd framework that just did not hold together. And so when you talk about the need for a, a new logic, a new method, or additional logic or method, and I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that, that really resonates with me because we obviously had to 
I knew I had to go and find something else uh, in order to make sense of my world, right? Mm. And, and my worldview. And it wasn't just, you know, oh, I don't like that, right? You, like, you can't live your life based on that doesn't work. <laughs> you need, you need, you need, that works, right? Like, <laughs> at the end of the day. So um, talk to me a little bit about this program then uh, for a new logic uh, or an additional logic. I'm curious, I understand that's a, maybe that's not the right question, but is, is what you're doing, you know, you've talked about adding, but I've also, I, I read a little bit in the introduction to your book, um, which for our listeners will be in the, the show notes, um, that there, the, for you, it's also a new type of logic. So can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? Okay. Um, uh, one way to approach it would be to touch on the uh, historiography of modern logic mm. with specific attention on the development of many valued logics. Um, in 1920, a Polish logician published an essay titled On Three Valued Logic. His name was Jean Lukasiewicz. And um, uh, in it, he began by um, faulting uh, the classical, the two valued logic that uh, on which modernity as we know it was built and which directs all of Western intellectual accumulations. Uh, Lukashenko was able to uh, establish that that two valued logic was inadequate because he fails to accommodate various ramifications of thought as we know it. Um, Aristotle himself had noticed it and was the one that flagged the so-called future contingent propositions in his uh, deinterpretation, uh, observing, of course, that future inter uh, um, contingent propositions cannot be axiomatized in his um, uh, two-valid logic with these three basic laws of identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle. Lukasiewicz latched on that, and um, try to go beyond Aristotle to say that, look, we need another logic that is that has more expressive powers, okay? And there are two things, two main theses in two-valid logic that limits the expressive power of two-valid logic. And that is the thesis of bivalence that states that every statement is either true or false. And the thesis of determinism that states that um, um, a statement is either necessary or impossible. Um, these two theses uh, offer advantage in terms of consistency and precision to two-valued logic, but they also subtract from its expressive powers. Right. And Lukasiewicz wanted to transcend bivalence and overcome determinism in order to give us a many-valued logic that has more expressive powers. And um, so, so he did that, but he ended up creating a third value, three-value logic, the third value he calls uh, indeterminate. And he, and, but, but, but then something happens here 
Locasiwi says that indeterminate is actually a value in itself, which is different from how Stephen Klein, the American logician, uh, in his 1952 book, uh, conceptualized it. Stephen Klein says that indeterminate is not, the thought value is not a value in itself. It's actually a state of undecided value, undetermined. It's not decided. It's not, we don't know yet. Uh, and for an example uh, for our viewers would suffice. Uh, if we say, for example, that um, 13 Igbo masquerades will dance in front of the Union Building uh, in Pretoria, South Africa tomorrow at 5 p.m. Is this statement true or false? Now, okay? Now, Aristotle says that it is neither true or false. That is the future contingent proposition. It's problematic. Logic enables us to determine the value of propositions. But here is a proposition we don't know its value yet. Right. Because we have to wait till tomorrow at 5 p.m. and to, to be able to determine whether that proposition is true or false. If we see 13 Ibu masquerades dancing in front of the Union Building in Pretoria at 5 p.m. tomorrow, then we will be able to say, yeah, that statement we uttered yesterday is true today. Okay? But hey, logic does not, too valid logic uh, is a tool we need to make decisions here and now. Okay? But uh, we have a proposition that will require us to wait till tomorrow before we can make that decision, determination. So that's a problem for two-valid logic. Um, look at see, we says, well, I've kind of seen a solution. We can transcend by violence, overcome determinism, and uh, make that determination today as indeterminate. Whether those masquerades will dance there tomorrow at 5 p.m. for Lucas, which is indeterminate. And indeterminate is a value in itself. Clean said, no, it's undetermined. It's not a value in itself. And um, uh, all kinds of people. But again, you should know that a future contingent pro proposition is not uh, the only uh, issue that two-value logic has. Um, uh, by the 19th century, by the 20th century, we had uh, the exponential development in science that moved from Newtonian physics to quantum mechanics. And um, there was a need to find a logic that explains quantum mechanics because two-value logic could not. And um, uh, folks like um, Beckhoff and von Neumann published an article in 1996 where they claimed they, had, they, had, they can explain the logic of quantum mechanics and that it is three-valued and all that, many-valued. Mm -hmm. And um, Hans Richenberg published a book in 1944 where he said that Lucasiwi's three-valued logic does the job precisely well in explaining quantum mechanics. Uh, uh, people like um, uh, Hilary Putnam and host uh, of others also tried to strengthen Lucasiwi's three-value logic to become the logic of quantum mechanics and what have you. So quantum mechanics is, again, another new development that casts as, uh, um, doubts on the uh, adequacy of two-value logic, which for the necessitates many-value logic, uh, if you like. 
And um, so the question now is, does Lukasiwi's three value logic or claims or whatever, do they do enough to take care of all these areas that two value logic uh, has failed? And then in my book, I identified uh, complementary inferences. It's part of how the world works. In fact, it accounts for more progress in world, more than uh, um, uh, bivalent uh, inferences. Okay, that complementary inferences, again, is not covered in two-value logic. We Again, it shows us that we need another type of logic uh, and so on and so forth and all that. So, Lucas Sewis uh, did his bit, but for me, he still could not transcend the, his, tra his program of going beyond bivalence and overcoming uh, determinism was incomplete. Uh, because even though he succeeded in uh, going beyond uh, bivalence as we know it, if we a wakeful uh, thinker would observe that as another type of bivalence, the same bivalence in another way that he could not overcome. And, and I have captured it in one of my recent writings as reverse bivalence. If the thesis of bivalence says that a statement is either true or false, right. that bifurcation, okay, supported by the law of excluded middle, then reverse bivalence says, will state that um, a statement is neither true nor false. This is the reverse of a statement is either true or false. Right. And, and the statement is neither true of, nor false is, 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 is Lucasiwis' reading of the thought value. So which, is, which means it's again entrapped in bivalence, but not in the classical sense of it. I have called this reverse bivalence. And because of that, it could not escape determinism because the indeterminate, the third value that he says is a value in itself, and he calls it indeterminate, is determinately uh, so. Is determinately so. If 13, if we say for now that if we say that 13 Ibu Masquerade will dance in front of the Union Building tomorrow at 5 p.m., and we say that that proposition is indeterminate in the sense of being the value of that proposition, then it is determinately so. So he has not actually escaped determinism. And, um, but it is important. In fact, all attempts at many-value logic are attempts to transcend bivalence and overcome determinism. All attempts at many-value logic. Have they been successful? There have been so many attempts. Uh, from Eastern Europe, uh, such as Poland, Polish logicians led by um, Lukasiewicz himself, Tarski, Jakowski, and the rest of them, they've made their attempts. Uh, we have uh, Russian logicians like Bobva and the rest of them, they've also attempted. And uh, we have Australian logicians later in the 20th century, led by Graham Priest, they have made their own attempts. And American logicians were led by Stephen Klein at this attempt. Have they succeeded? in overcoming bivalence and uh, in transcending bivalence and overcoming determinism? My answer is no. Mm. And the reason is because these, these people from these other places in Europe, North America, 
remain tied to the culture from which the bivalent thought system was generated in the first place. Okay? Um, and so they, they couldn't derail, they couldn't, they're not rebellious enough to walk away from that, their cultural roots. Mm. Now, but in Africa, we've had about three attempts. Um, and all three attempts are from the same school that I belong to, the Calabar School. Um, the first one by Innocent Asuzu, included in, in his book of 9, 2, 20, 2004 and 2013. He calls his program uh, the complementary logic. And then you have uh, Chrissy Joma, uh, his uh, essay of 20, 2006 and book of 2014. He calls his own program uh, Harmonious Monism. Um, and um, mine is called the Zumez, and it was, I built it on top of theirs, you know. Okay. Um, uh, the weaknesses in their attempt are largely that um, uh, they covered two main areas of African thought and did not cover one. And I'll come to this. And number two, they failed just like the workers on many value logic in the West to articulate new laws that to weaken the existing three traditional laws and articulate new ones from them to enable that tran transcendence to be completed. So now Izumezu articulates three of such laws by weakening the three traditional laws. And you remember what Oliver Reese said in his uh, 1936-34 article, can remember, that any adjustment whatsoever, whatsoever in the tra traditional laws of thought will yield a different system of logic. But making this adjustment, there have been critics of these laws, identity non contradiction excluded middle in the West, from Hegel to uh, Marx and, and what have you. But... None to the best of my knowledge uh, have made attempts to weaken these laws and, you know, create three, three more laws to supplement them, you know, and, and that is what is amazing. Um, um, if you don't mind me just uh, interjecting here, just to make sure that I'm staying on track. Mm. Uh, so would you say um, that, that the idea of uh, Valens and of, you know, whether it's true or false, is do you, do you see that reflected in the often binary structure of western philosophy and so and when you talk about so we're talking about uh in many ways like that binary structure right there's often like true and false and even in the the thesis antithesis synthesis of hegel we're talking yeah. about that and then when you talk about decolonization oh that was exciting uh when when you talk about decolonization uh, that's often traced back to someone like Derrida. And when you talk about deconstruction, the idea is to just rip apart the binaries, but it's not building anything, right? And so we're not transcending, we're just tearing down. Mm. Am I tra is, is this making sense? Am I, am I understanding you in like kind of that reading of Western philosophy? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, precisely. So if I may um, flesh it out a bit. Sure. Um, um, 
let me do this by saying that in the structure, in thoughts, logic proceeds from thought system. Thought system is generated from a culture. Okay? Uh, okay. When people think that uh, everything is either this or that, okay? When a culture, you come to a, a culture, and people always look at things as this or that, up and down in two ways. Mm. It means that that's the, the structure, the thought system, structure of that culture, the thought system of that culture is bivalent, is binary, and it will lead to binary opposition. Okay? Yeah. If you yeah. get to a culture where people usually go about their daily routines in thinking of the world as either this, that, you know, or even this in the middle. He said that that thought system is trivalent. And um, it is easy to get to um, binary complementarity, complementation from that. Now, uh, it does not mean that in cultures where they look at things either this or that, that um, the idea that two opposed could come together is lacking. No. It does not mean that in culture where they have this trivalent approach to reasoning, that the bivalent uh, uh, orientation is also lacking. No. What, what, what this means is that uh, we are talking of what is dominant in a particular culture. And right. yes, Derrida, Foucault, all these people who ventured into different forms of deconstructions, world systems analysts and theorists like Emmanuel Wallenstein, Sam Amin, uh, post-colonial thinkers, okay, um, like um, Franz Fanon, Gatra, Spivak, and the rest of them, these people are in one way or the other trying to negotiate this binary opposition. Okay? Now, but many, most of them don't know that this thing has its roots in logic. Mm. And um, the reason is this, the structure, the, the structure of a, a tradition, of an intellectual tradition, has three main components. At the foundation, you have logic. Logic deals with the laws that guide reasoning. You also have ontology at the other side of that foundation, dealing with realities that are involved in the reasoning process. Now, on top of this foundation, you have a structure. So you th really think of um, the, every intellectual tradition as a house. On top of the foundation, you have the structure. The structure is, is the method or methods. And what are methods? Methods are various ways of applying the laws of logic that are at the foundation of that tradition. Okay? Methods are various ways of applying the laws of logic. Now, on top of that structure, on top of method, you have the roof, the doctrine. These are, these are, this has to do with the concepts, the principles, the theories that we spin in any academic field. All right? Now, the reader and all these people who think these the constructive ways and all that um, are at that level of theory. Okay? But something supports that theory. You have the methods. 
And after the method, you have to dig into the ground to see their hidden component that where all that is rested. So if you do not, if you lose sight of the structure and the foundation, it will be it might be difficult for you to have a successful program uh, that deviates from the norm because you might stick with the methods. You might yeah. stick with the methods, you know, that support the same structure you want to deviate from. And if you stick with those methods, you're sticking with the same logic that shapes the method, that shapes the theory. So you can advance, but you cannot get to the end line, the vision you really have in mind, because you've not addressed the logic. The moment you address the logic, you address the method. And if you address the logic and the method, they will give you a new picture of reality yeah. that you want to paint. That is also the so, problem with decoloniality. So in your um, illustration of the house, like what we have are people who are deconstructing, working on the second floor because there's a crack and it's a very mm. large crack. But what they're not seeing is that the, that crack extends all the way down to the foundation. All the way down and to it, the foundation. And it's just going to keep coming back. Oh, right? yes. And so oh, yes. it, it uh, which, you know, it's great. You know, we don't want rain coming in the house, so it's good to like exactly. cover up the roof. Exactly. <laughs> but you have to eventually deal with the foundation. Yeah. So oh, yes. yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Um, so and uh, you know, I, I think I understand a little bit. Um, forgive me if I'm uh still a little lagging behind on you know things like reverse by balance. Uh but uh, talk to me a little bit like in as plain English as you can, I understand <laughs> this is technical and, and I appreciate your expertise on that. Uh, how does your many-valued logic work? Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, I'll try to be as, um, ex uh, as simple as I can. Yeah, I, yeah, I, it's a big ask. It's really okay. <laughs> believe me, it's not so easy to break down. Uh, now that I have spoken about the structure of an intellectual tradition, mm. okay, perhaps I can now try to add some flesh by with the use of some examples mm. and see how to flesh that out. Um, let's say, for example, uh, okay, let me begin by saying that Izume's logic has three supplementary laws. These laws supplement the traditional laws. Okay. They don't replace them, they supplement them. Okay, but that's to true. supplement yep. them, they have to weaken them in order to, uh, to be able to accomplish the project of transcending violence and overcoming determinism. Now, these laws, um, attune themselves to the three basic metaphysical principles in African thought. And that is why Izumezu is African culture inspired, but it is not Africa bound. Yes, It is I a understand. contribution to logic from Africa because it's inspired by African, African culture. Um, and these three principles, metaphysical principles, uh, what define uh, a discourse to be African. It's easy to say African philosophy, uh, Chinese philosophy, 
American philosophy and all that. People say that all the time. But there, there, ha there have to be underlying logical metaphysical principles that will define, that will serve as criteria that will enable us to know, to distinguish Western philosophy from African philosophy, from Asian philosophy and all that. Uh, and that these are the three basic principles. Um, the first one is principle of relationality. The second one is principle of contextuality. And the third one is the principle of complementarity. Where did I get these principles from? Fine and good, I have articulated them, but I did not articulate them from, from nowhere. These are ideas that are salient in different African cultures. And scholars of African uh, philosophy and studies have variously uh, touched and described them, but I have articulated them into three principles. Principle of relationality states that variables necessarily interrelate because no variable is an ego solus. Variables necessarily, they may seem opposed to each other, but they necessarily have to interrelate, and they do interrelate, because no variable is an ego solus. The principle, the principle of contextuality says that the relationship between these variables occurs in specific contexts, and these variables themselves represent diverse contexts or diverse manifestations of reality. Okay, do I repeat? Okay, uh, then number three is the principle of complementarity. Amongst these diverse variables, many of them could be opposed to each other in one way or the other. However, the goal of the relationship amongst these variables is to reach complementation, is to transcend contradiction and reach complementation. Two valid logic presents these seemingly opposed variables as opposites, from which we have the idea of binary opposition. You know, as the end point of the interaction that can possibly take place uh, among these opposed variables. Complementarity seeks to go beyond that to say, hey, yes, seemingly opposed variables might contradict. However, that is not the only way they can relate. They, are, they can as well construct a relationship of complementarity where, yes, you have what I lack, I have what you lack. Somehow, um, that might present us as opposites up and down, male, female, you know, uh, rich and poor and all kinds of binaries you have. But hey, if we look beyond that which sets us against ourselves, we might even begin to see that it, those things are again, they offer us the opportunity 
to even advance ourselves individually more than we'll ever do on our own. If we think of complementing despite being different, if then that requires us to see difference as variety, not difference as not as lopsided, not as inferior, okay, as law of identity, we present it at the two value logic level. At this three value logic level, the law of Njikoka uh, 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 presents difference as variety. And variety are different contexts. And different contexts can relate. And the relationship of these variables occur in specific contexts. And if that is the case, then we avoid a law of contradiction that tends to present valuations as universal. We find ourselves in a position where point of advantage, where in, re in reducing our valuation to contexts, all right, we avoid the requirement of universality. So that universality uh, becomes reduced to contextuality, that this is so within this specific context. If he gets to another context, it could be something else. And this is where I give you a picture, having explained these laws of um, the logic and their metaphysical origins. This is where I give you an example. Okay? Absolutely. Let's talk of this. Think of this statement. You need to drink water to stay alive. Okay? Two-value logic would say that by the law of contradiction and excluded middle would re require us to evaluate that statement universally such that if we say that that statement is true here, it will be true in anywhere we utter that statement. And at any time we utter that statement. Okay? What does Izumi's logic tell us, specifically by the law of Njikok? Izumi's tells us that the so-called categorical propositions, when we study them further, we we'll discover that they are really a different type of propositions that can be analyzed in a different way. And Izumi's calls calls that aromaristic propositions. An aromaristic proposition is a proposition that expresses one thought, but which value could change from context to context. So think of the statement, you need to drink water to stay alive, as an aromaristic proposition. Is it true? Is it false? Ezumez will say, no, don't be hasty to declaring it true. Think of, you have to do, you have to evaluate it within context. All right? As the law of Mekoka, the second law, says, as the principle of contextuality states. So let's move this statement to a context. Let's say we move this statement to the context of a desert when someone is dehydrating. You need to drink water to stay alive. Is it true there? Yes, it's true. But let's move that same statement again to the context of a river where someone is drowning. 
Does that person need to drink water to stay alive? No. More water will probably kill him. He's taking, he has had enough, more than enough. <laughs> so you see, the same statement, okay? But when you reduce it to context, it gives you a particular value. If you move it to another context, it could give you a different value altogether. So Zumezo wants us to evaluate propositions in specific contexts, not in their universal form, but in specific contexts. Well, and you get multiple uh, dimensions, even with that water example, because you have to drink water to live, even in the desert, if it's salt water, you understand, like, and yeah. the idea, yeah, like, that's, yeah. that would actually be worse. And yeah. if you talk about, like, um, and then people are like, oh, well, just pure H2O. It's like, actually, your body prefers water with certain minerals in it. Yes. Right? So, mm -hmm. like, and those minerals can change, and mm -hmm. it's going to interact with all sorts of different contexts. I mean, exactly. and that's just one other dimension, right? Mm -hmm. There's obviously the drowning and the drinking, and then there's, yeah. like, the, the composition of the water itself. Mm -hmm. And it gets more and more individual. Uh, you can, I mean, this is what philosophers like Asso's, to do, but go ahead. Asso's, who is a member of the Calabar School that I mentioned before, mm. who came up with this complementary logic, uh, was the first person to, uh, to also identify the relevance of contexts and context of contexts, all right? And context of context of contexts. Sure, and that is sure. And that is what you are pointing at now. So we have... Multiple contexts, but Izumezu urges us that when we want to evaluate, we should get down to a specific context. It is only in that specific context that we can get the actual value of uh, the proposition itself. Because, as I captured, cap, uh, captured it somewhere in my book, context upsets facts. Okay, and this is the idea, the principle of value, uh, um, context dependence of value. Yes, and, and this is why the three, your three laws complement or supplement, excuse me, the uh, original three laws, because you can still, like, things can still be wrong in the system yes. of logic, right? Oh, yes. like, it, oh, yes. <laughs> so it's obviously the statement about, I should drink water to live, mm -hmm. um, in a desert context is mm -hmm. like that could be true or false right yes. and uh so it, when it happened like it's not uh it's it's supplementing it's not saying that there isn't true or false mm. um uh when you talk about uh if you could restate the uh contextuality one i there was some the way that you talked about diverse manifestations i think i understand now but can you just uh restate that uh I re literally repeat that uh, for our listeners, and um, maybe we could talk about that a little bit more, because I want to make sure I understand the idea of diverse manifestations. Okay, um, fantastic. Let me um, say that by talking about this logical formulation into the law of Nekoka and its metaphysical interpretation as a principle of contextuality. They are the same thing. This one is metaphysical. This one is logical. And you remember yeah. I said that logic and ontology are the foundation of an intellectual tradition. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the so the 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 idea there is that um, variables, okay, and 
These are placeholders, variable could be human beings, they could be other entities or whatever we are working with or, or even words, that their relationship, they relate, they necessarily interrelate. And that relationship occurs in specific contexts. Okay? And each of each variable in addition, represents context in itself. Okay? Such that uh, when you think of um, a male human being, you think of a female, they want to relate. They can relate in a context of a marriage, context of co-workers, and so on and so forth. But they each are contexts they, 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 they are filling a certain space, and that space is a context. That space they feel are uh, about the circumstances and all kinds of features that define them. All right? So every entity is defined by the circumstances of its existence. And when it goes into a relationship with another, it carries all that baggage with it. And these, again, will, will charge up every relationship. That is how we have problems we have in the world. And, and my theory of philosophy called conversational philosophy uh, speculates that most of the problems we have in the world are problems of relationship. Okay? And of course, the Calabar School uh, that that has different theories. There are many theories, some many theories within the Calabar School. The main problem that all of us are trying to solve, address in the Calabar School, is what we call the problem of borderlines, with borderlines written as separate words. Okay, when this line is drawn between sexes, it gives you the problem of sexism. When it is drawn, and of course, I'm talking of binary opposition lines. When it is drawn sure. between races, it gives you racism. When it is drawn between um, uh, diverse religious faiths, it gives you credoism, if you like. When it is drawn between people of different, opposed or different uh, social and economic classes, it gives you classism, and so on and so forth. This is the problem we are trying to solve in the Calabar School. And we've created different theories to solve this problem. All right? So, um, but Ezumezu has the logic that tries to make sense of this whole thing and explain how this, some of this reasoning work from the African perspective and which, again, can be extended internationally. He's trying to tell us that the opposite, Opposition, the binary opposites, the entities in oppositions are contexts. They fill in context. Their existential circumstances define them. And these are the things that charge up the, 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 the situation when they come into a relationship, making us think that they can only oppose, contradict. However, the goal of every existence is to advance itself. So if we keep eye on the fact that every existence, uh, existence is trying to advance itself, 
to unravel itself at a higher level, to make progress, then we should not focus on the tension between opposites. We should rather draw the attention, we should rather shift the attention to how these opposites can both advance themselves if they choose to complement rather than oppose. Because yeah. it is in that complementation that this one will enrich this one and this other one will enrich the other one. That is the, that for me is uh, a fine articulation of the African cultural worldview in logical and epistemic and metaphysical principles and tools and methodology that if we embrace this and realize the importance, uh, it makes it easy for us to solve all the diverse problems of borderlines and relationship that we have in the world between nations, between individuals, between culture, between groups, and what have you. And it is actually the way the world works. Much of the progress we make in the world comes from this. Yeah. Uh, and so, thank you. Appreciate that. That was uh, uh, well said, uh, very articulate. Um, like you said, a, a fine articulation of it. So I, I'm, when I look at the Aristotelian logic, there is kind of a hidden value, right? It says true and false. And the, the hidden value is this, this search for accuracy, this search for consistency, right? Like it, mm. it, this idea of like, it needs to fit. Um, yeah. And it, if, if, even if you have to break something <laughs> to make it fit. Um, with yours, I see a lot of times the solutions seem to come not by necessarily forcing things against each other, but by changing the context until they fit. Mm. Is that is that am I understanding that correctly? That kind of flow of thought? Um uh if I understood your question, uh I think um uh, uh it's about realize realizing what what is more more important. Right. What is more important is not in uh, seeing what divides yes. but in seeing what unites okay and you looking achieve at the that same thing and seeing opposition mm -hmm. and looking at it differently and seeing opportunity to complement and and the way that you see that though is by changing the context by achieving like maybe looking at the context of a context so mm. that you can see beyond is mm. that is that one way to think about it or is that like am i just completely missing that uh, it may be one way to think about it, depending on what the um, substance of relationship is about. Yeah, it is a relationship, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is a relationship that determines the context. Yeah, if two people, male and female, uh, come together to have um, build a home, to live together, make babies, marry, we are talking of context of marriage mm -hmm. okay now two people male and female could uh, again come together for different other purposes that would represent different type of contexts yes 
Okay, what determines how you go about this one will not be the same things that will determine how you go about the same uh, the relationship in other contexts. Two people in a marriage think and relate to each other differently than two people in a business. Yes. Okay. Hopefully. So, so <laughs> it is it is the it is the purpose of the relationship that determines the context. Okay, and 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 then, but you cannot wish away the circumstances of life, the circumstances right. of existence that each participating variable brings with it. Right, right, right. Yeah, you can't just. Um, but when, so when you talk about advancing, mm. you know, I mentioned the consistency and accuracy side of Aristotelian logic. Is there another term or is, do you have an, uh, a way of articulating what you constitute as progress or advancing uh, through this kind of logic? Like mm. that seems to be the end goal of this logic. Yes, as this uh, principle um, that I call a creative struggle. The principle of creative struggle is a relational principle. It is creative because it is aimed at progress, it's progressive. It is a struggle because it is critical, okay? The circumstances of existence that characterize each relating variable will always create tension, will always create tension, okay? That is a critical element in creative struggle. But the ability to negotiate the tension and instead of looking at themselves as mutual enemies in mutual opposition, binary opposition, they look at themselves as people that are, or entities that are self-insufficient. But they wish to advance themselves. They wish to enrich themselves. They wish to make progress. If they look at it from that perspective, they begin to think of complementing each other. Okay? Um, in Africa, we have this meal that we call a swallow. Okay, it's served in two bowls. In the first bowl is the is the paste, okay, that you can gather together in your hand, and the other bowl is the soup. Now you can eat the this one without the soup, and if you've got the soup, uh, you can actually scoop it inside your mouth, but it cannot serve as a meal. So, they, 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 if, if, you, if one person has got the, the fufu and one person has got the soup, how do they, when what they want is to feed themselves properly? That's what A wants, that's what B wants. But each of them only has one half of what it requires to feed themselves. What do they do? They, they can choose to complement. They can choose to complement. You share yours, I share mine. Okay? And at right. the end of the day, everyone is happy. They make the progress they want. They reach where they want. And I'll tell you something. This is how the world, that's, this is my, as logic actually explains how quantum logic works. It explains how, uh, how quantum mechanics works. It explains how the world makes its most form of progress. Think of the Lego system in your country. You know, very often they want to bust some, for example, some drug dealers, and then they, they, they nab 
someone who is peddling for a drug kingpin. So they make a deal to that person. All right, we absolve you of any punishment insofar as you give us evidence to nab the kingpin. Two value logic will not accept that. The law should be clear as to if you break it, you get punished. It's black and white, pure and simple. Uh, but then what do they do? They make all these adjoining policies and laws. They are moving away from two-value logic to three-value logic. Yes, if you, the law says that if you do this, if you are caught with this quantity of methamphetamine, for example, you go to jail. But then they weaken that law. They weaken the logic behind, beneath that law and come up with a new policy that said, however, if you can make a deal with us and give us a bigger kingpin, we can let you walk. Yeah. All right? And I'm telling you, this is how the world works in most places. It's just that we haven't realized it to apply it in a large scale, to embed it in our laws and policies everywhere, to make it part of human existence. Actually, that's how it works in Africa, in traditional Africa, in our cultures. All right. That is how it works. That is where we got the idea that African philosophers and thinkers try to get these ideas that they apply. That is where I looked and studied all of them and articulated them into three basic principles. From yep. relationality, you get to contextuality. From contextuality, you get to complementarity. Complementarity. And I believe it is, I believe it is the, um, uh, my project is, uh, uh, you know, goes beyond all the projects that they put together in this many value logic. Mm. Uh, I just, it's, it just requires uh, scholars and policymakers in different places to really pay attention to what I have developed and realize its importance to our world. These conflicts mm. everywhere, these problems, these are problems of ego. Most times, two variables charged with their existential circumstances. They see themselves as opposed. That's what it is. But if they could all actually look differently, you know, to their situation, they'd be able to go beyond contradiction and begin to think of complementarity, complementation. Mm. And everybody will be happy for it. Yeah. You know, I... I... <laughs> Working together is generally, I think, a, a better solution. Um, so well, let me just say, I think that's a great place to end. Uh, I, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to see uh, how, as your project uh, progresses, um, just to see where, where you go with it. Uh, even, you said you have another book coming out soon. Uh, I'm not sure it's coming out soon, but it's oh. <laughs> Sorry, you have, you have a book, a future planned book. Um, yeah, and it's, I, it's, uh, it's the name escapes that, me. Mm, it's a book that's, um, that aims at supplying the foundation that is missing mm. in the edifice yeah. of um, decoloniality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to say thank you and uh, have a good day. Thank you very much and um, enjoy your day as well. It's been my pleasure.